Thanks for downloading show 114 of the C-Suite podcast that we're producing in partnership with Globalization Partners, where we're aiming to help those businesses looking to expand into new countries by explaining just how easy it is to hire talent anywhere in the world without the complexity of setting up foreign offices or subsidiaries. Uh, my name is Russell Goldsmith, and to help us demystify the process and explain how businesses can build global teams whilst bypassing the legal, HR and tax complexities involved, I'm thrilled to to be uh, joined online from Boston in the US by Globalization Partners founder and CEO, Nicole Sahin. Uh, welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Russell. Excellent. Now, during the show, we're also going to hear from uh, Deval Gore, head of the Mayor's International Business Programme at London and Partners, who I caught up with yesterday. Deval is working with Nicole's team uh, here in London now that Globalisation Partners are an official business partner of his programme. Plus, we also have comments from Elizabeth Palmisano, who is a talent acquisition and HR manager at Click Dimensions, one of Globalisation Partners' clients. And they've just recently gone through the process of hiring staff in a new country. So lots to get through. But to kick off this episode, I thought, Nicole, it probably makes sense if you gave us a quick introduction to your business. Yeah, absolutely. So Globalization Partners is a global employer of record platform. And what we've done specifically is we've digitized the entire process of a company going global. So whenever a company wants to employ a person in another country, whether it's Brazil or Saudi Arabia or China, they just identify the person that they want to hire and we put their employee on our already existing company payroll in country and add them to our local benefits and everything. And basically, we bill the client the cost of the employee's total compensation plus our services fee. And that way, the client can go into a new country quickly and easily. With our software on top of that, uh, literally a company can go into another country in any country within a couple hours of uh, signing an engagement letter with us. So we've completely digitized the process of going global. And it used to be that companies had to set up branch offices and subsidiaries and do a lot of research on the legal tax and HR things around the world. And instead, they basically leverage our already existing subsidiaries on the ground in country and our existing compliant HR and legal infrastructure via our software and, and therefore eliminate having to do any of that. So uh, yeah, we have operations all over the globe. We're about 270 people internally and um, supporting thousands of clients going global. And you launched the, the company in 2012. Was it a new concept at the time? And you know, actually what I was interested in as well is, is kind of what inspired you to go down this route for, for building a business like this, because your background's not in HR or legal, is it? No, not actually. Yeah. So um, my old business, I helped start a company that helped other companies expand internationally. And the idea behind that business was that every time a company wanted to hire an employee in China or Brazil or, or wherever, they would have to figure out all the legal tax and HR issues in that country. And the way in that business that we made it scalable is that we were a drop-in international finance, HR, and legal team. So the idea was I had already set up 60 companies in China. So by the time I was setting up number 61, I could it would be easy enough for me to help Tesla or another high growth company do the same thing. And basically after doing that for six years, I had set up probably a hundred companies in the UK, one for each client that was wanted to hire local employees. I probably set up 60 companies in Brazil, 60 companies in China. And again and again, most of my clients just wanted to hire one or two people on the ground in each country so that they could start selling there. And it seemed super inefficient because it, it would take tens of thousands of dollars in six months for them to 
plan to start hiring people, much less just getting started. So I thought if we could just set up one company in each country and give all of our clients access to it, we would have a much more scalable and likable business model for companies to use to expand internationally. And basically, you're right. I mean, at first it was considered a business model that wasn't considered compliant. If I talked to PwC or Deloitte or a law firm in those days, usually they would say, no, it's not, that's not going to work. But when I dug in on a country by country basis into the legal and tax issues, ultimately it is possible to make it work. It's just, we had to work on a country by country basis to make the legal finance and tax issues in each country uh, manageable and compliant. You know, the world's just getting more complex with data compliance and data security and all these things that actually makes it more and more likable for our clients to use a model like ours because they know they're putting all the hard things on our shoulders because it's hard enough for a company to manage a company globally, you know, just run a business globally, but not having to deal with legal complexities makes it much easier for our clients. You mentioned the previous business that you were working for. I was just wondering, I mean, one thing that's always interesting to hear from entrepreneurs is, is whether they've made any mistakes in their previous businesses that have helped when it, when it came to launching their next venture. And I, I didn't know if there was anything you were willing to own up to and, and share maybe that, that you could say helped in, in, you know, when it came to launching Globalization Partners. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest issue in that business, and I loved that business, you know, we had a great time. I wasn't fully in control of the business. So it's easier to acknowledge mistakes. I guess, you know, you learn from from other businesses what you do the same and what you would do differently. And one thing that I struggled with in that business was that it, it was very hard to make our clients like our business because it's really hard to figure out how to go into a new country and, and consulting services by nature. It's expensive. It's, it's custom every time. And so our clients weren't very happy with our services. And ultimately, when I set up this business, I decided if I was going to do it, the only way I wanted to set up Globalization Partners was if we could make our clients happy. And if we could also make our employees happy, and if we could create a business that people truly love, I'm happy to say that we have 97% client satisfaction ratings. I think there's two reasons for that. One is because we care a lot and, and invest heavily and ahead of the curve in making sure that our product, our software, our people, everyone is united to provide a great client experience. But beyond that, what we do is infinitely scalable. You know, I mean, it's it's a lot easier for a client to put an employee on our payroll and benefits plan in another country and work with our HR person in another country than it is for them to set up their own infrastructure and get it right from scratch. So there's two reasons it's worked, but I'm glad it did because otherwise I don't think we'd be here. Sure. And so jumping forward eight, eight years to, you know, 2020, you've now been recognized by the Financial Times as one of the fastest growing companies um, in the US. And at, at the start of the year, you announced this $150 million minority equity investment. And that led the Boston Business Journal to report that your organization could reach unicorn status by the end of the year. So has that investment and expectation uh, changed the perception of, of the company at all? The investment has not changed anything. But what I would say is that, so COVID wasn't expected. That deal closed in January of 2020. And we were bullish on the company at the time. But I have to say, now I'm even more bullish on the business and, and the industry overall. I would have never wished for a pandemic at all. I mean, that's impact, impacted all of our lives significantly. But I will say that as companies move more and more towards remote work, we find that it's almost like an acceleration boost towards the globalization of the workforce. People are not able to bring foreign talent from other countries into the United States, for example. So we, we have a lot of clients 
you know, maybe they need a specific language skill to support clients or they need engineers. The U.S. has a shortage of more than a million engineers. Now we see that our clients are just hiring the talent wherever it is rather than only hiring people, you know, in a 100-mile radius of, of the headquarters city. And so basically, I think the company is going to grow faster than ever. Excellent. Well, let, let's dig a little deeper into into how the process works exactly. So I, I promised we'd explain how easy it is for a, a company looking to hire talent anywhere in the world and, and not have to worry about setting up an office or subsidiary in that country. So for those not aware, this is all achieved by what's called an employer of record service. Can you talk us through how that works exactly? Yeah. So, okay, let's say that um, one of our clients, a London headquartered company, wants to hire an employee in Singapore they would identify the person that they want to hire and negotiate what compensation they want to pay that employee and what the person's job duties are. Once they figure that out, they go onto our software and we draft an employment contract for them via the software that's at their fingertips. So into that employment contract, we recommend things like non-compete terms, offer letter terms, what type of benefits they might want to offer their employee And by the time they get through the employment contract generating software, component of our software, we we have issued an employment contract to their local employee on the ground in country. Now, technically, we're legally the employer of record for that individual in Singapore. They're going on our payroll, but for all intents and purposes, they work for the client. But if you can imagine how easy that is to get an employment contract out via us at at someone's fingertips via an app on their phone, That's super easy and and would just take an hour or two, even less really, compared to figuring out how to set up a company in country, figuring out what type of benefits you can offer in country, and if it's even possible to hire to set that up for one employee. So basically, the employee's then on our payroll. Our HR person on the ground would reach out to that employee, introduce herself, talk the employee through any questions in the contract. So it's a it's a very transparent relationship. The client tells the employee that they'll be employed through us. And it works out really well. The professionals are very happy. The people who work on behalf of our clients are very happy. We do onboarding surveys every month. And almost always, it's all the employees are happy with our service. Because I think they just want to be paid and do their job and get their work done. But I was going to ask, is there any point when the employee then moves to a contract with your client? Yes. So sometimes our clients, if they, if they were to grow, let's say if they only have a few employees in Singapore, they probably will just stay with us as the employer of record. But if they grew their team in Singapore and they had, let's say they had 20 employees in Singapore, it probably would make sense for them at that point to incorporate their own legal entity and transfer those employees to that in-house entity. It's, it's quite easy. It's just an easy transfer. And I would say it's better for the clients because they've already established local benefits, proper employment contract terms, their IP has been protected. So it's quite easy for them to terminate the contract with us and rehire the employees through that local subsidiary. And what happens if, for any reason, the hiring company has to let that employee go? Because obviously, to start with, they're they're contracted with you. Absolutely. So we ask that the client notify us and we work hand in hand with the employee and the client to do anything that we can to manage the relationship. So for example, if they need to have a performance improvement plan, our local HR person on the ground works with the employee and the client. But in in some cases, it's just a matter of a termination. I would say that's where it's really important and where it's really important to get it right. And we feel like literally the client's risk is our risk in that case too. And we want to make sure that it's a peaceful solution for everybody involved. 
And what we found is that it's always human. You know, you can have software and you can try to make things scalable, but at the end of the day, these are people's lives and these are the hard things. And so having our local HR team on the ground work hand in hand with the client and the employee to settle it is the best approach and normally very effective. And I think that's when our clients appreciate us too, because trying to navigate a termination in a foreign country would be extremely challenging if you didn't have anybody. Yeah, I can I can imagine. And, and would you say that, you know, awareness of employer of record offerings has, you know, is greater in, in the US rather than here and across EMEA and, and APAC regions? Yes, I, w- I would say that the awareness of the global employer record model is greater in the US than it is in Europe or in Asia. We launched in 2012 in the United States and kind of slowly built the business because we wanted to make sure that we were building a truly compliant global business. As of January, we launched our European headquarters in sales and marketing team in London, and we've just launched our Asia sales and marketing team as well. We've had a little bit more time to get established in the United States. Companies are just starting to think about this in Europe. But yeah, I think the market opportunity is huge. We love working with our European clients in Asia, Asian clients as well. And frankly, you know, we'll grow much faster in those regions because we've already established the business. Excellent. Well, as I mentioned in my intro, Click Dimensions is a globalization partner client uh, that has recently gone through the experience of expanding internationally and they've been using the employer uh, of service route. So let's have a listen to what Elizabeth Palmisano, Click Dimensions talent acquisition and HR manager, had to say. When we ink ourselves or, or set up in region, it takes months before we're actually able to hire a person. And that's if we're lucky. I mean, I encourage everyone to crunch the numbers and and look at it for yourself. But for me, it was clear between lawyers and fees and contracts and banking costs and vendors. And that's just the monetizing piece. It's not even the other side of it, which is the time that it takes to find vendors and to execute contracts and to go back and forth and to hold people accountable, you know, as an HR professional or even as a leader, a hiring manager, your time is so much better spent executing than researching because not only are you going to research, but then you have to execute on top of it. That's a lot of extra money that you're spending that you don't necessarily see on the spreadsheet when you're looking at ROI because you're like, oh, lawyer's fees and I could pay this and we can have someone on the ground do that. That's great. You can, but you're not factoring into it the time it's going to take you to find the right person to be able to help you do that. It's not just a Google search and a click away. These are interviews and conversations that you're going to have to have. And, you know, if you're not thinking about the time it's going to take to do the things and not just the costs, you know, you're going to find yourself in a sticky situation, especially if you have managers that are looking to move fast. The employer of record really is the way to go. But do the, do, do the numbers, do the work yourself. I encourage everyone to do that. But for us, it was super clear. What we got back from Globalization Partners was worth way more than what we put in. With Globalization Partners, I can pick up the phone today and say, hey, I'm going to hire somebody in Portugal. I've got a candidate. What do we need to do? And within 24 hours, I'm ready to move forward with this candidate. We can start talking about developing a contract and getting this person moving where if we're inking it ourselves, I'm just doing research about the country to see if I can post this position. Someone is always there to respond to me and kind of give me a nuance or help me understand the social norms where we're opening. To be honest with you, I don't know if I would be as excited and as, you know, sunny about this if I hadn't tried, if I hadn't already gone through the process and 
set up employees in a region. That, especially in The Hague, it was such a process and it was so frustrating and we got it done. But as I look back on it, if we had gone with globalization partners then, how much further ahead we are, I mean, my CEO would probably be upset to hear me say that. But so uh, some high praise there indeed, Nicole. Um, is there a certain type of business that this works well for? I mean, are you specifically working with startups and scale-ups or, or you know, are you also working with established uh, multinationals? So, yeah, it, it runs the gamut. I would say we actually work with quite a few established multinationals as well as startup and scale-ups. More than half of our clients are software and high-growth technology companies. So I think the reason our, biz, our model appeals to them specifically is because they're always trying to grow as quickly as they can and grab global market share. And they also often have, times have to hire talent wherever they find it in terms of engineers and, and everyone else. But basically, we have all kinds of companies on our platform. And I would say the main things that we look for when, when looking for clients is professionally managed high growth companies. They choose us because they want to make sure that their IP is protected. These are companies where compliance is important. You know, they want to make sure that IP is protected, data privacy is secure, and that we're, they want to make sure the details are correct. Because otherwise, if they didn't care about compliance, they could maybe hire, they might hire everyone as a contractor or pay them under the table. So I guess mom and pop shops really aren't as concerned about that type of thing, um, but they probably should be. Definitely. Well, that leads nicely onto this next clip, actually, because, you know, it's not just about making life easy for the clients, but also uh, there's, there's those potential uh, new recruits who have to be convinced that the employer of record service is the route to go. So here's um, Elizabeth Palmasano again, uh, just on the recent experience of some of her company's new recruits. So we have two team members in Australia that started on Monday I think two weeks ago. And they both, when we did our orientation, said that everyone that they talked to at Globalization Partners was super helpful from the moment they received their contract all the way through their onboarding, that there was always someone available to them in region, which was important. So they're able to get real-time response, even though I'm on the other side of the world. And that's just our two Sydney partners. We also have our Singapore employee who was extremely happy with the ease at which we were able to get him his contract and go back and forth and negotiate. And then I'll just, I'll take one final employee over in the UK. She's a customer success manager and was very concerned about coming on through an employer of record. She'd always been a direct employee or a contractor and was concerned that this was a contract situation. And just having that one-on-one -on -one conversation with her and being able to walk her through the process and what Globalization Partners does. And of course, I wasn't even on the call where she talked to her contacted GP, but she was able to, you know, digest what that person had said to her and come back to me the very next day and was like, I'm ready to sign on the dotted line. Let's go. So it's not just about, you know, yeah, being there for them and answering the questions, but I mean, these types of situations where you're not right in front of them and you don't have that one-on-one -on -one rapport with them, having a company that's able to create that rapport is very important. So Nicole, given you now have more competition in this space. How, how are you managing to differentiate? And why would you say that your employer of record service is so successful? Yeah, I mean, we've been rated the leading global employer of record platform by Nelson Hall in an independent industry analyst report. And I would say that the, the things that set us apart are we have our own in-house infrastructure built around the globe, which is critical because you ultimately don't know how compliant or how scalable a global employer record is unless it's been built in-house by a world-class legal HR and finance team. You can't have control over something you don't own. 
And so we're the only employer of record, global employer of record with that infrastructure built in-house. And then secondly, on top of that is our technology. So we're the only company that's digitized all of that. I would say that employer of record could be just a services industry, everything's done by email type business model. But at the end of the day, we all know that's not how business works anymore. So it was important to us to always make sure that technology is at the forefront. It's also really important for for compliance, again, because data security and such, you can't have email addresses and bank accounts and, and payroll information just flying around the globe in attachments. So yeah, we've taken the approach of if we can literally put it at our clients' fingertips and, then, and digitize the entire process of hiring people internationally, and they literally don't even have to worry about HR, legal, or tax issues because we've got it, that that would be a winning formula. And then finally, I, I would add our customer service. Having 97% customer service ratings and having always focused on quality sets us apart. For me, that was more a matter of wanting to feel good about whatever it is that I created and put into the world But I have to say, I'm really happy that it also paid off as a business investment. And I hope that other businesses can take that as a new guy, you know, some some kind of principle or someday if I write a book, I'll include that. Because I think the Silicon Valley in the United States has the idea of um, build as fast as you can and don't, you know, move fast and break things. I can see the point of that. But when it comes to HR and people's lives and livelihoods, it just seemed like very counterproductive to me. So I'm glad that the putting quality first has, has turned out to also be the right thing for the business. I wanted to ask, though, it can't always be that easy and that smooth. I mean, there must be some territories where, you know, or, or countries where it's not so easy for a client to expand into. Is, is there anything that, you know, comes to mind for you on that? Oh, it's super hard. I mean, it's super hard. I mean, at the end of the day, the the compliance regulations change all the time. And people are people, so they're very unpredictable. And basically... To expand into another country, I think the hardest things, just like in building building business in your own country, the hardest things are always the people because that's what pulls your heartstrings. And people are not cogs in a wheel; they're not predictable. It's not like you can just put a person into a role and it's going to they're going to execute perfectly. Um, but it's also where the rewards come in. So the countries that are hard, I'd say they're hard because the legal situation is evolving constantly, or the political situation in that country is evolving constantly. But the hardest things, again, being related to people are also where we get the most joy and the most accomplishment out of the business. So I'd say that because our clients leave the hard part to us, they mostly get the joy of the growth of the business. But when there are hard things, you know, we're side by side with them helping to solve those issues. Yeah. And we have all kinds of things. I mean, we have, we've had people who have gone missing and they turn up three days later after a vendor at a hospital. We find we find out wow. that, they, you know, we were calling police stations and hospitals and it turns out that. They just had a really wild night at a party and it was it was a crazy thing to resolve. And, you know, these are the types of HR issues that any HR person can probably tell you about as their horror stories. And, and that's the business that we're in. But that's funny. I think at the end of the day, solving it side by side with our clients. Yeah. And what about, have you ever seen any kind of like cultural faux pas, you know, when companies have hired new team members? I mean, particularly during that onboarding process, you know, because they, they don't necessarily understand those those local cultures or customs like, like you guys do? Yeah, yeah, it's super funny. I mean, I have to say that for our account management team, I feel like half their job is cross-cultural communication and interpretation. Um, right. There's a lot of countries where people are more comfortable picking up the phone and talking to our HR people on the ground. And they, they kind of expect our team to be like pass, pass on the feedback to the headquarters team. 
And we're happy to play that role as intermediary and kind of translate to the client headquarters team. I think it solves a tremendous amount of problems for our clients. Like our internal HR team, they're bilingual and they're, bi- and they're bicultural. And there's the bicultural part is, uh, is, a, is a differentiator if they're used to working with U.S. headquartered companies. Just to give you an example, there's a tradition in the Middle East where if a, an employee has a baby they get something called, it's like a tuition reimbursement. As part of the way their payroll is, is compensated, but for each kid, they get an education allowance. And I remember one time that a general manager of a UAE company called headquarters HQ and they said, you know, Ahmed just had a child and we want to start paying him his education allowance for the newborn. And the HR director called and she was really upset because she was like, you know, I trust my GM in country, but why does a newborn need an education allowance? He's not going to start school for like five years. But just having us on her side to kind of interpret that for her and tell her that it's just part of the culture. It's not really an education allowance. It's more that the role of an employer is a bit more paternal. And it's, you know, that part of it's partly acknowledgement that as a father of an additional child, he needs a bit more, a bit more of an allowance. To, and uh, and this is just part of the system. And it's better, better, at least even if she didn't want to actually approve it to at least have the context that her GM wasn't wasn't trying to pull the wool over her eyes was extremely reassuring. I just want to go back to something you touched on earlier, actually, in terms of, you know, COVID and obviously everything that's going on at the moment. I mean, the last few, well, six, seven months have, have been so difficult for businesses. And I was just wondering whether or not now is the right time to be talking about international expansion. Yeah, it has been hard for businesses, but I think now is exactly the right time to be talking about international expansion because basically... If you were to only target, let's say a London headquartered company has traditionally only been selling into into the UK, they're missing the vast majority of the rest of the world and the huge open market that is available. Also, I think if clients don't go global faster, they find competition popping up, taking advantage of the market opportunity that they've proved works in one country, but they've proven that the business model exists, but they got to go grab market share as fast as they can. And finally, it's related to talent. So it used to be that you know, a Boston-based company could fly an employee into France every other month to go meet with the clients there. And that was sufficient. Now with the people not traveling at all, they really need, and it's, it's a better business solution anyway, they need a French person on the ground in France meeting those clients and doing regular Zoom calls. There's just something comforting about having support on the ground in, in country for clients that is much more successful ultimately for businesses. And in terms of global expansion, I mean, obviously, we touched on this earlier, you're on a, a, a global expansion plan of your own. Um, so th- that announcement of the $150 million investment uh, that, that we mentioned that, you know, earlier, you, you, you talked about expanding your offering in, in APAC and across EMEA. Do, do you want to just tell us about your plans for, for that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we're here to take over the world. We've, we've built something that changes the way people do business around the globe. We've, we've always gotten a lot of contact from Europe and from Asian clients. And in, in fact, we weren't even supporting those clients previously because we wanted to wait until we knew that we could really service them well. At this point, we're very confident in our ability to scale the business and continue to provide clients with 97% satisfaction with their global expansion and uh, as they go all over the globe. So we've hired a European sales team based in London and in Galway in 20. 20- 20, and we'll be expanding that team throughout Europe in 2021. We've also hired a, an APAC team based out of Singapore, and we'll be expanding that team throughout Asia in 2021. 
Great. Well, that's probably a good time to hear from uh, London and Partners who you're working with here on, you know, on those UK plans. Um, so as I mentioned yesterday, I, I caught up with Deval Gore. He is the head of the Mayor's International Business Programme at London and Partners. And I started by asking him firstly to give us a quick overview of the programme. So um, the Mayor's International Business Programme um, helps ambitious high growth scale up companies uh, from London to expand their business internationally. It's worth kind of just broadening out a little bit. London and Partners is the umbrella company within which Mayor's International Business Programme sits. So London Partners is the official promotional agency attracting overseas businesses, events, congresses, students, visitors to London and helping London businesses to go global, which is where the, the, the programme that I head up uh, sits. So our members and member companies operate in a host of sectors from the creative industries, from financial services, from health, uh, smart cities. Um, they all have a, a common thread, however, uh, of being sort of ambitious with their international growth plans. And we support them with the know-how, the know-who to speed up their understanding of their target markets and industries. So we deliver uh, sort of an ongoing program of workshops and events with mentors, corporates, advisors and investors. And this also includes our trade missions, where we take groups of companies, typically from a specific sector to a market, and expose them to key connections and help them build their, their knowledge and, and, and understanding of, of, of that market. All of this, bring it on, on to points, all of this is delivered in partnership with our corporate partners, such as globalization partners, who join the likes of KPMG, Lloyds Bank, Microsoft, Taylor Wessing, Wilson Sonsini uh, and Collinson Group. Can you just go into a bit more detail in terms of how many companies are, are on the programme and, and also how, how it's funded will be quite interesting as well. Yeah, in terms of um, how many companies, in its entirety, we've helped uh, 900 London-based companies to, to internationalise. And these are, these are companies uh, that are either on the programme because it's a 12-month ongoing programme all companies have graduated and are now part of the alumni uh, network. So at, at any given time, we're either onboarding or we're graduating. And it's, 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 been, it's been kind of ongoing now for about five years. And one of our KPIs, probably worth stressing, is, is around job creation. Uh, we're supported by the Mayor of London uh, and speaks to his kind of economic development policies. So we've kind of worked out, we've, we've kind of created or helped to create around 1,700 jobs amongst these companies. How we're funded... We're funded by the, uh, a, a bit of money from, the, from City Hall, but the, the large tranche of our money comes from the European Union through something called the European Regional Development Fund. And then that's matched funded by the corporate partners uh, that I mentioned, including globalisation partners. And as we said, sort of like globalisation partners have, have joined the programme. It's actually just recently that, that that's happened, isn't it? What are your expectations from this new partnership? I mean, we're, we're massively excited by this new partnership. Um, we're going to work together like we do with all the other partners to sort of collaborate and essentially, in its essence, support London scale-ups. Globalisation partners um, have a pretty impressive global reach uh, with individuals and teams spanning most jurisdictions and markets, and certainly in which we operate uh, and more. Um, so they bring to the party you know, expertise, knowledge, connections, all this sort of good, rich material and connections that can help our member companies sort of build their capabilities and becoming effectively global players. So it's that expertise, connections and content, right? And of course, we're also very acutely aware, talking to the team at Globalization Partners, that the, the employer record uh, concept, if you like, is, is relatively new in our market. 
certainly quite well known in the States and North America generally. So through our endeavours and our collaboration, we'd we look to sort of maybe educate the market for activities on, on that approach to, to market entry. So have you started any activity with them yet? Yeah, we've, um, we've got globalisation partners, some of their colleagues involved in some of our activities that were already on track uh, whilst we were in discussions with globalisation and onboarding them as a partner. And as I said um, earlier, one of our kind of major planks as a service is running these trade missions. I'll be virtually right now because we can't physically get on a plane and visit these markets. But recently, um, I led on a, a German trade mission which was themed around the fintech industry. One of their senior partners who was transiting from the States to, to Ireland kindly kind of joined one of our calls and spoke to us about what it means to do business in, in Germany to set up and scale because she's a native and also understands the, the, the business community there, particularly in, in Berlin. So these are kind of the, the small but highly, highly effective activities where we'll constantly, on a continual basis, involve globalisation partners and their colleagues. Um, we've got a, a mission coming up in North America very, very soon, again, themed around fintech. Fintech reigns supreme right now as a sector, particularly for London. Uh, and the team in the States at Globalisation will be helping us uh, with some of the content and connections with, with that exercise. And that's just a, a small example that uh, it certainly speaks to their strengths. And you mentioned the employer of record service just before. I mean, what, what, what's your thoughts on opportunities for scale-ups to, to use that kind of service that Globalisation Partners offers? You know, the common thread, speed is of the essence. Everything we do is about acceleration. These companies that we work with will always get to where they're going to, with or without us. What we're trying to do and contribute is how do we accelerate that in terms of learning, in terms of content and connections. And I think the employer record concept speaks to that speed and acceleration in terms of market entry into a new market, which then allows members and our companies who who onboard that, that outsourcing service to, to scale quickly and then to spend more time uh, focused on, on what's really important for them. And that's their clients and their products and product developments. And, you know, it's interesting because speed is triggered by a number of things. You know, you could have, you, they could have onboarded a new client. They could, have, they could be, uh, have onboarded a new distribution partner or investors breathing down the net to expand really, really fast into new markets. Or it could be simply first mover advantage. Whatever the trigger point, speed is of the essence. So anything that can help them offload some of the setup procedures would be of a, a huge value, I think. So, Nicole, I want to come back to reflecting on, on the last few months and the impact that coronavirus has had and whether or not it's tested you as a company leader in any way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think with coronavirus, the the first thing that that was a test for all of us was just the sudden shift with absence of information to a global remote workforce. I think the way that tested me as a leader is to really, uh, it was hard. You know, we haven't we have large teams in India and Mexico City, which are both regions that don't work from home. They don't have a work from home culture, and indeed, a lot of people's homes are not set up to work from remotely, and as soon as we shut down the United, shut down our offices in the U.S., we realize even if these countries are saying that there's no COVID, their governments aren't as strong as American and European governments, and so maybe, maybe they they just don't know. And it's turned out that actually the the government in Mexico has just downplayed the virus quite a bit because they 
they, they've said they don't have any way to really manage it and the economy effectively. It, it won't work for people. Um, and similarly, India is just such a large country with such a large population that it, it, would, it would be quite challenging for them to control it. So we decided to have our teams work from home and remotely, even though it was, it was precarious at first. And I think that was a big test of leadership and really putting our company values where, you know, putting our money where our mouth is basically and saying, we're going to have everybody work from home, even if it's, even if it's a little scary, we're going to make sure we find a way to do it. So we did that quickly and easily. I'd say that was the first big test. And then secondly, uncertainty and guiding people and providing light to people in times of uncertainty is really important. It's turned out that our business was not negatively impacted nearly as much as I would have expected by COVID, but people have been affected a lot this year. And I think no matter who you are, I mean, 50% of the employees in the United States, someone in their family is, has suffered job loss. People were afraid. You know, there's a lot going on in the world. And so I think showing leadership to us has been taking a stand and supporting people where they need it and trying to keep them motivated and inspired, even, even in hard times. Hmm. And Clearly, you know, the business has changed so much from when you first launched. Uh, I was just wondering how you've created and maintained your company culture in that time. And in fact, it, you know, what would be good to understand is what that culture actually is, you know, what the business stands for and, and whether you have a, you know, a business purpose embedded within it. Yeah, well, I love the business purpose question because that's something that really inspires me. So at the beginning, one thing I always tell our clients is that we're at the forefront of globalization. And one key thing about globalization is if, that if you see and work with people from another culture or country every day, that you're, the otherness of that person starts to melt away. So if you are only watching the news 10 years ago and you saw someone in hijab or someone who just looked very different, maybe they were wearing a head covering or something that we don't wear in America very often, that you know some people are, it could be scary. Anything that's other is taught People are taught to be afraid of that. But when you work and see someone every single day via video communication and you hear about them going to pick up their kids from school and then you remember, oh, they live in this country that, you know, I've been taught is so different from my own country, then that really breaks down the barriers, not only. So we like to say that our, our motive as a business, our mission is not just to break down barriers to global business, but to break down barriers between people around the globe. So I think that's something that we stand for. Another thing that we stand for is the idea of, you know, historically businesses, the idea of a business was to create, maximize shareholder value at all costs. And that was the whole purpose of a business. In August of 2019, 500 CEOs in the, in the CEO business roundtable came out and said, no longer is the shareholder the only stakeholder and businesses have to contribute to other stakeholders as well. We've had that as a motivation behind our business since the outset. We call it the triple bottom line. And so besides contributing, of course, to shareholders, the company's mission was always to you know, create a positive experience for its employees and for its customers as well. And again, I'm really happy that we've attained that. So that's some of our values that we hold near and dear. In terms of the company culture, I would say our company culture is people are very effective, very responsive, and very positive. We don't have a lot of the politics behind the business that I think can become common, because I think we acknowledge that the company is changing so quickly. If there's something going wrong or somebody's not able to perform in a certain role, it's not that they don't want to. We don't have, we don't have chronic slackers uh, or underperformers that, that stay in the business. But basically, there might be a systems issue. And so people are very 
proactive about addressing it. I'd say that people are responsive, positive. They buy into the, the mission of the company being to break down barriers between people around the globe. And there's a lot of gratitude expressed throughout the business. I think you've answered my next question, actually, because I was going to ask what it takes to work for globalization partners. Clearly, it's a certain type of person. Uh, what does it take to work here? I would say it takes a lot of energy and ambition because it's very busy. You know, growing a super high growth global company is not for the faint of heart. So people have to really love what they do and be passionate about it. People have to be willing to roll with the punches and change. We currently are about 270 employees internally. We've been adding about 30 a month and probably will continue at that rate. So we'll be double, double our current size by the end of next year. Whenever a company is growing that quickly and changing that quickly, and especially across so many countries around the globe, there's just a lot of inherent change in the business. And so people, a lot of times there's, there's tons of room for promotion, but people's jobs change all the time, you know, and that's part of the joy of it. And it's part of the fun of it. But if you were the type of person who just wants a checklist to come into the office every day, and some people really like the uniformity of doing the same tasks every day, that we're never going to be the right company for somebody who, who prefers that type of role. And, and you talked about um, in terms of how many people you're recruiting at the moment. I mean, we're recording this podcast as we head into the, the final quarter of 2020. Uh, you know, obviously, you've touched on your recent launches in, in EMEA and, and APAC as well. But what, what are the plans for 2021 and beyond? Yes, for 2021 and beyond, I and mean, we will definitely be a multi-billion dollar business by 2024 and doing over a billion in revenue by the end of 2021. So we're growing just as quickly as we can. And uh, I think it's fun to keep up with the ride. But I guess our goal is to you know, ultimately transform the way the world does business. I do believe that the global employer of record model is the way companies will hire their global workforce in the future. And, and we're going to be the company that makes it easy for them. Fantastic. Uh, Nicole, this has been a, an absolutely fascinating discussion. If, if listeners want to find out more about globalization partners and how the employer of record services work, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, we'd love to hear from them. And our uh, web address is globalization-partners.com. Fantastic. Uh, Nicole Sahin, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Russ. Well, that wraps up this uh, latest episode. So I just want to thank Elizabeth Palmasano and Zaval Gore for their contributions too. And if you want to find out more about the Mayor's International Business Programme, just head to London and Partners website on that programme, which is business.london. Very simple. We hope you've got a lot out of this episode. We'd love to hear any comments you may have on the topic of employer of record services. Uh, so if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can do that on our Facebook page, Twitter feed, or LinkedIn and Instagram pages. And they are all linked from the top of the website at csuitepodcast.com. And you'll also find all our previous shows there and supporting show notes plus links to where you can subscribe for automatic downloads of each episode via your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do give us a positive rating and review. Uh, just a reminder of that URL that Nicole gave out. So if you want to find out more information about Globalisation Partners, uh, simply visit globalisation-partners.com. And a quick reminder to our UK listeners that that is Globalisation spelt with a Z and not an S. So globalisation-partners.com. Uh, finally, if you would like to get in touch with this show, you can do that via the contact form on the website as well, or you can connect with me on Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith, or you can find me on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. Mm-hmm.